Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good morning, friends, colleagues from across the nation. Welcome to our annual Sagebrush Training Conference, which, uh, as you can tell, we're not in person in Las Vegas like we should be, so we're doing it um, virtual. And it is my pleasure to open the, the session. Uh, this is Dan Sippel. I'm from uh, Eau Claire, Wisconsin. I'm the immediate past president. And um, hopefully Scott Hagan, our current president, will be joining us shortly. And uh, we have a, an exciting agenda lined up, fantastic speakers. And I'm sure we're going to all learn something, relearn something, and possibly have to unlearn something given the pandemic um, is going to be offering us the opportunity to modify the way we uh, look at our businesses as we move into the next few years. There will be in, you know, it's just um, fantastic the way our industry, the convenience services industry has really um, adapted to the changing way convenience services are being offered across the country. And we're going to try to share some of that with you this week at Sagebrush, who are our uh, intellectual speakers that we're bringing on, and uh, hopefully ignite some um, brain waves in all of us that uh, will give us ideas on how we can better promote ourselves, our businesses, and um, more importantly, our program, the Randolph Shepherd program. It's a, such a vital program that uh, has treated all of us so well over the years. Uh, with that, I'm going to turn it over to uh, Scott Egan, our um, president of the Randolph Shepherd Vendors of America, RSVA. Scott? Yes, thank you, Dan. Good morning, everyone. It's great to have all of you with us this week, and uh, we hope that you'll find uh, more than uh, enough information to take with you as we go through this week. We have a great lineup. I know this doesn't look like Las Vegas once again, but it is, only, I guess, in our minds, but... Uh, uh, we're looking forward to a great uh, 2022 Sagebrush Conference, and um, I do have a little something to share here. You have to share a little something. Did you folks hear about the mathematician who is afraid of negative numbers? He'll stop at nothing to avoid them. So <laughs> uh, never start with your best material. So anyway, welcome, <laughs> and uh, I'll, I'll turn it back to Dan here. Thank, thanks for joining us this week. Thank you, Scott. Um, and Scott is, uh, you know, as I mentioned, our current president, and he's doing a fantastic job of um, guiding RSVA forward. And we, uh, I guess, Scott, did you want to introduce our um, welcoming people from um, Nevada? Or Let's have an introduction this morning of uh, everyone who's on our board, and uh, they are all just as excited as I am to be with you this week. And uh, I know we've been through a lot to kind of flip things around and once again, go virtual, but uh, we're all just so pleased as punch you're here. So yeah, let's run that audio. Hello everyone. Welcome to the RSVA Sagebrush Conference. Uh, my name is Scott Egan. I'm the president of RSVA and we, we welcome you and we are glad you're here. For myself, I am a vendor here in Minnesota uh, I have a number of locations here, including prisons, uh, college, and some state buildings. 
I've been a vendor for 35 years here in Minnesota, and I've uh, been uh, an RSV member for too many years to count. I, I've kind of lost track, but uh, it is good to have you folks here. We've got a great week of uh, a lot of good learning lined up, and uh, we, we hope that uh, we will see you in person in 2023, but until that point, we'll make the best of the week we have here, and we have a great lineup, so please... Uh, Feel free to stick around and join us for the entire week. Thanks. Hello, I'm Artis Bazin, and I'm first vice president of RSVA. I'd like to welcome you here today. We're so happy to see so many people sign up for this event. I've been an RSVA for a long time, so probably many of you have either met me or at least heard of me. I was a vendor for 27 years in the Randolph Shepherd program and then moved to California, so started my own business in business consulting and coaching for business owners. So I'm glad to be here today and welcome you all. Hello and welcome to Sagebrush 2022. My name is Linda Allison. I have been in the Randolph Shepherd vendors program for six years. I have a small facility in Eastern Tennessee, a nuclear power plant. So I get glowing reviews from everyone. Much grief over being at a nuclear power plant. I felt I wanted to do a riff, you know, the 1980s. Do you remember that song? I'm studying nuclear science. I love my classes. I've got a crazy teacher who wears dark glasses. Doing all right, making great, making good grades. My future's so bright, I got to wear shades. So Greetings from Louisiana. This is Kim Venable, RSVA's tre current treasurer. I would like to thank the Sagebrush Convention Committee, the RSVA Board of Directors, our sponsors and exhibitors, presenters, and most of all, our attendees that make this conference possible. Hope y'all enjoy and learn as it is packed full. Les bons temps roulés. In French, let the good times roll. <laughs> My name is Donna Seliger, and I am Secretary of the Randolph Shepherd Vendors of America. I have been um, involved in RSVA since the early 90s and have been Secretary for many years. My background is vending. I first started out filling vending machines at one of the state office buildings, and I moved to different office buildings in the complex. Then I ended my career as a uh, cashier at the cafeteria at the Iowa Department for the Blind. During that time, I also helped make uh, sandwiches for vending machines throughout the city. I'm retired and I live in a senior housing complex. I enjoy a lot of different activities that we have here, as well as knitting and traveling. I'd like to welcome all of you to the Sagebrush Conference and hope that you enjoy the week. Aloha. My name is Miles Tomashiro. I am a longtime board member of RSVA. I am currently a vendor at the um, Silver Dolphin Troop Dining, which is located on Pearl Harbor in beautiful Honolulu. Have a great convention, everyone. Aloha. Hello, everyone. I'm Randall Crosby, and I'm a board member with Randolph Shepherd Vendors of America, that's our SBA. I'm a blind vendor, business owner in the BBE here in Florida, and I've been in the Randolph Shepherd Vendors program now for 30 years, and I'm just 
glad to be a part of this great program and welcome everybody. Thank you. We're going to go through our uh, welcomes from uh, some folks in Nevada, and then I've got a little tribute I want to share, and then we can move on from there. So, Trudy, are you ready to uh, give us a little presentation? Sure. Uh, my name is Trudy Boxnow. I am the current president of the Nevada Council of the Blind, and I would love to have welcomed you to windy Las Vegas today. <laughs> um <laughs> I look forward to hopefully hopefully seeing you next year at Sagebrush at the Golden Nugget. Thank you, Trudy. Thank you. Uh, we also have Chris Mazza with us today, I believe. Yes. Good morning, everybody. Um, my name is Chris Mazza. I'm the uh, BEP chief of the state of Nevada. Uh, I'd like to welcome everybody to Sagebrush. Uh, I know everybody wishes they could be here in person. It's great to always have that here at the Golden Nugget, uh, especially if you're from colder climates, because it's going to be, uh, I think, 65 degrees today. So I uh, don't want to rub that in, but it is what it is. <laughs> you know, COVID has impacted us all greatly over the last couple of years. I think the, the last time I was in person at Sagebrush was actually my first Sagebrush convention. You know, here in Nevada, we've lost operators to, uh, you know, to passing away, uh, retirement, some just quitting altogether. And it's been a, a uniquely challenging situation, I think, for all of us. So uh, what I always enjoy at Sagebrush and other conventions is the ability to collaborate with other states, uh, other operators, and other people who uh, work for the programs to talk about new and innovative ideas. So uh, as I said, looking forward to that this week and um, just like to welcome everybody and, and thank everybody for really committing and putting their time into uh, this convention this week. So once again, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. And, and next year, believe me, I'll, I'll be looking for a, at least a fist bump, if not a handshake. Uh, <laughs> no problem. We just, yeah, we just lost our uh, our mask mandate uh, just ended a couple days ago. So we're moving in the right direction. Yay. That's fantastic yeah, news. Right. Absolutely fantastic. And then we also have Dick's Seperstein from uh, the Nevada committee chair. Scott, I just got a text from him. Unfortunately, he's not able to join us this morning. Okay. Well, we'll be looking forward to catching up with him soon. So thank you. I do have something I want to share from a dear friend of ours who unfortunately is no longer with us. So I have a couple of selected uh, items I saw from uh, Rick Coomley. Official name was Roderick Rick or Rick Coomley. He was born in Minneapolis, Minnesota, November 25th of 1941. He graduated from Buffalo High School, Buffalo, Minnesota. And that, that alone caught my attention because uh, every time we'd come to Sagebrush, one person I'd think of would be Rick. He'd be ready to talk, and we'd talk about Minnesota. But he did attend the University of Minnesota. He then joined the Air Force and uh, moved to Las Vegas, graduated from UNLV, uh, he was a lobbyist for veterans, blind, and visually impaired folks, uh, responsible for the first prescription drug reader for Las Vegas, and I understand the following ones throughout the United States. He was a strong advocate for that and made that happen. And uh, he was also was president of the Nevada Council of the Blind, and he also served in the Blind Lions. And uh, once again, I always think of coming in the door and the golden nugget, and I'd be looking for that big cowboy hat and that smile of his and we'd start talking about uh, Minnesota and his his fond memories of the our state and uh, it was always welcoming he was so incredibly welcoming and Rick will be missed so I just wanted to keep his family in our thoughts and prayers as we start sagebrush so 
Uh, with that, Dan, I think I'll turn it back over to you. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Scott. Yeah. And I think, you know, we just maybe take a few seconds in remembrance of uh, Rick. He was just a fantastic um, protege that we had there in Las Vegas as far as gaining coordinated, uh, coordinated volunteers for us. And um, unfortunately, too, we, we've lost a number of people in our group. Um, Terry Camerdell and Bonnie Camerdell really come to mind. Uh, I think we all uh, know Ter Terry and Bonnie. They've been with us for many, many years, and they were um, part of the foundation that built RSVA. You know, Terry assumed uh, he, our last age brush. He, before the vaccines were available, he ended up with COVID. He recovered from that. But uh, the long-term effects, um, other underlying health conditions, uh, you know, and so, but we can be rest assured that Terry and Bonnie and Rick are all looking down upon us and making uh, the light ahead of us at the end of the tunnel just that much brighter for us. Uh, so yes. just keep those people in. There's many others. Ray Washburn, the past president, uh, I really shouldn't start naming people because there's so many that have been taken from us, but they're all watching over us. State brushes meant so much to them over the years. The, um, you want some door prizes? Yeah, there. I think uh, artists. That would be great. Yeah, we got. That would be a great, do a, a great uh, change of pace here. Um, I, we, <laughs> we we miss those folks, but yeah, we, we've got some great things coming ahead of us here. So yeah, let's do some door prizes. Okay, I got three names. Each of them will get a uh, gift certificate in email. Some of them are going to get some free fiftieth um, anniversary T-shirts. Okay, the first one is Scott Allen. The second one is. Ken Armstrong, and the third one is Kevin Bishop. And I didn't uh, know where, where they were from, but we got uh, three prizes. So thank you. Congratulations to those three folks. Right. Yeah, that's, and we're glad to have you join us and uh, make wise use of your gift certificates and uh, wear your T-shirts proudly. I think that uh, be proud that you are in the business enterprise program and that you're a member of RSVA, uh, nothing finer in life than being part of such a great group of people. And that's what makes it so hard to put on this virtual uh, without its ability to, to meet all of our old friends and to make new friends. We've always made new friends at every every Sagebrush convention. It's just uh, marvelous. We're a little ahead of time here. So um, what I'm going to Take liberty, since I didn't make it due to technical difficulties, I didn't make it in time to do the introduction that uh, Rick was so gracious to set up for us. But um, I'll give you a little bit of background here. I, again, I'm Dan Sipple. I'm from Eau Claire, Wisconsin. I was born and raised in central Wisconsin, a little town of Anawa. That's halfway, eight miles west of Mattoon and five miles north of Burnhamwood, Wisconsin. I'll give you a little geography. Now you know exactly where I was born and raised in a little village. And uh, my dad was uh, a blacksmith and a welder. And then he took on the International Harvester Equipment Dealership. So I was born and raised in a farm implement dealership along with a farm. He had a cows and everything else. And so I, I learned mechanics and stuff quite well. And I come from a family of 10. And we've all followed in our dad's footsteps. And with that, I have, I've always had that desire to be a small business owner. You know, having been brought up in that, I, you know, at five years old, I was out sweeping up my dad's shop and uh, meeting all the customers. So I've 
I gained a lot of insights into our society by having all these um, older people around me from the time I was five on up time I could walk outside the door. And with that, I worked in a, a truck shop. I started out uh, 14 years old and washing trucks, and I became a diesel mechanic. I learned the, the diesel end of things. And uh, in lo and behold, you know, when I graduated high school, the business enterprise program, or I would say the uh, Department of Workforce Development offered me the Randolph Shepard program. I thought, no, I've you know I've got retinitis pigmentosa. I got pretty good usable vision left yet. I want to do something, so I want to go to college and uh, with the desire to own, have a small business. And so I declined the business enterprise program at that time. Then I went to college, and I, but lo and behold, I kept working part time in college uh, as a diesel mechanic. And lo and behold, a truck tire fell on me on my shoulders and crushed my back, and I had back surgery. So that ended my. Um, diesel mechanic experience. Couldn't no longer lift the heads off a diesel engine with a bad back, sort of with a, a locked up's back. And uh, so then upon um, completing college, and I still had a desire in DVR at that time, and they're still somewhat reluctant. You know, I thought, well, okay, I, I know I'm going to have declining vision and I can um, do an auto parts store, a truck parts store. I can handle that and I can have some help help you know, handle the heavy lifting and this and that. Well, that didn't work out. So I went to work for, at the time, uh, Montgomery Wards was in business and then learned the auto mechanics rather than diesel mechanics and worked on cars and became a um, service manager for Schmidt Oil Company and uh, run their shop for them. And the mechanics was in my blood and I got to the point where even though I was a service manager, I didn't have to be bent over a fender. I still was out there with my mechanics and and my back just couldn't take it, but then it got to the point where my eyes deteriorated, where I could no longer see the timing marks on an engine to time. Well, I guess I'm, now I'm aging myself. The cars no longer have timing marks on them, but we make an engine run better by setting the timing uh, in detail. So then I went to work for the state of Wisconsin as a white-collar crime investigator and did that for 20 years, regulating various forms of business. And again, for the third you know, I, I went to a, I kept deteriorating and it got to the point where I could no longer read standard print on a witness stand. Uh, I figured it's time to back off that because when you're in front of a jury and a judge and a jury and you're trying to prosecute the CEO of uh, General Motors and Firestone, which I, I have done, and uh, juries don't understand when you have to have a magnifying glass to read the documents. They say, how can you properly investigate something when you can't see? So I gave that up, and then for the third time, they offered me the business enterprise program. And I said, well, it's time. And uh, the wonderful thing about it is that was always my whole back of starting my own business because 90% of small businesses fail within the first two years. But um, so I ended you know, up having a, a young family, I got three daughters. I didn't want to really take my life savings and invest in a business that you know, is unknown, you know, but with the business enterprise program, there is no financial outlay. Program furnishes the equipment. You just furnish the equity and the knowledge base, and you can make a tremendous amount of money. And uh, so with that, uh, you know, I, I've done uh, these various other things in my life, and the business enterprise program, the Randolph Shepard program, far outweighs all the rest of my experiences in life. And i I'm so grateful for this program, uh, giving me this opportunity to 
get my daughters through college, high school and college. And um, my oldest daughter graduated summa with a master's degree in business education, business administration, summa cum laude. My three daughters currently pay more income tax per year than I earned in all my money and all my life. <laughs> so uh, I firmly believe it's all due to the impact that um, business enterprise program has upon my business. Okay, and now you, you know my life story in a, in a nutshell. I just wanted to share that experience with you. But um, is Ted Drake with us? Do you on? Hi, Dan. Yes, I'm, I'm here. Okay, perfect. Now it's my privilege and honor to introduce to you a, a gentleman that has been an ally of uh, the Randall Shepard program since I've met him many years ago. He's extremely knowledgeable, not only in his particular line of business, but all of technology. I mean, he's just a valuable resource. And uh, it's unique that we have him come and be one of our presenters, and he's one of our Zebra sponsors, his company is, during tax time because the company works for us into it, as you others may know them as uh, QuickBooks. And we all know how uh, we despise this time of year when we have to gather all of our paperwork and <laughs> put our tax together. But uh, Ted's company uh, will is always there to help us out and guide us through and make sure that we don't overpay our taxes. We want to pay our fair share, but we don't want to over, definitely don't want to overpay them. So with that, I'm going to Turn it over to Ted Drake from Intuit, and he's going to give us a little available and global accessible leader. Okay, Ted, it's all okay. yours. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. Uh, attending the Sagebrush Conference is always one of the highlights of my year. Dan talked a lot about taxes and QuickBooks for you know accounting and such, but one of the things about Intuit is that our business goals are not based on how many products we sell. Ultimately, our number one goal is that small businesses, that we can reduce the number of small businesses that fail in the first five years. One of the five metrics that we based on. Others are things like making sure that families in the United States increase the amount of savings they have in, in their accounts for emergency purposes. We're not focused on we need to make X million dollars a year, but we're really focusing on the customer. And that's why we attend Randolph Shepherd is that I'm here to learn from you. Um, that's why I keep coming back every year. That's why I love sitting in Las Vegas at the tables and asking questions and finding out how people are running their businesses. RSVA is completely different than many small businesses. You have limitations and you also have different support systems. And so I've learned over the years that a presentation I give to, we, we also support a group that helps deaf entrepreneurs start their businesses, completely different resources that might go into either of those. I uploaded some files. So just so people know, I do have some slides today. They're very simple. If you can't see the screen, I'm going to be describing everything on the screens. But the uh, for those that can see, uh, they're high contrast, big text. So hopefully those will help. So I'll go ahead and share my screen. And today, uh, what artists asked me to talk about was some um, small business resources. So the goals for today, I want to give an update about Intuit because uh, many of you are small business owners looking for new accounting and new uh, marketing solutions. But I'm really going to go away from that and talk about design for delight. This is how Intuit builds products. And there's a lot that you can learn from design for delight that will help you as people are moving back into the offices, as they're coming back into the courtrooms. 
as the traffic is expanding on the freeways, as you're starting to pick up new customers, how can you prepare for a new market, new uh, possibilities? So we're going to talk about Design for Delight, Follow Me Home, and Net Promoter Scores. And finally, I'm going to talk a little bit about MailChimp, which is a new acquisition we have, so that once you understand who your customers are, how can you start connecting with them? A little bit about Intuit. We have a lot of products. QuickBooks is a platform. And originally, it started out as a way that you could balance your books. What's your income? What are your expenses? Uh, Who are your customers? What's your inventory? But over the years, it's expanded. So one of the products a lot of people use is QuickBooks Time. This is a time tracking software. It works on the mobile phone. It works on your website. I mean, on on your web browser, you can use it on the desktop. And it it essentially makes it easy for everybody that works for you to check in, clock in, and clock out. Now, you can connect QuickBooks Time with QuickBooks Payroll, which allows you to make all your W-2s and do all the payroll. But you can also use it with your favorite payroll service. So you can use QuickBooks Time. It's agnostic as to which payroll service you use. We also started QuickBooks Live. And this is because one of the things we found is that one of the key success metrics for a business that's surviving past five years is to have access to an accountant and to have access to a bookkeeper. Because a lot of small businesses, when they start, they're so busy thinking about the business that they don't have the time to keep their books in order. And they end up with a backlog of receipts and invoices and uh, they struggle to get caught up so that when tax time comes, then it's a, even a more stress. So QuickBooks Live is an extension to QuickBooks. Essentially, we hire expert bookkeepers. And when you sign up for QuickBooks Live, you will have essentially like a project manager, a key bookkeeper that will work with you to understand where you are to help you set up your books Uh, We also have bookkeepers on the back end that you may not talk to, but they're the ones that are going to be making sure that your QuickBooks is up to date. So that means that you're not focusing on the day-to-day data entry, but instead you're focusing on your business. And then the QuickBooks Live experts are making sure that your, your books are up to date. We also just acquired MailChimp. You probably have seen MailChimp based emails in the past. They power a lot of the communications for small businesses. You can also get a website through MailChimp, and they have a customer relation management. So you can really understand, like, keep track of all your customers, but also, did you send them emails? Did they opt out? Can you track which customers are actually clicking on those emails so that you can, you know, send more fine-tuned emails to them? We created something called Accelerate. And so you're obviously familiar with Zoom, but imagine being able to set up a Zoom call with one of your customers. This may not be quite as appropriate for uh, most of our uh, vendors, but imagine you wanted to set up a call with a client and it's like a Zoom and it's got chat, but what's happening is that as you're talking, we use artificial intelligence to understand what you're saying. And as you're saying things, it could actually sit there and create an invoice. So if you're talking about what you wanted to buy, and they're telling you you want, you know, five truckloads of broccoli. Well, it's going to create an invoice for five truckloads of broccoli. Or it will help you find the information from your QuickBooks accounts. Currently, Accelerate is free. So you can sign up even if you're not a QuickBooks customer and try it out. It also has a transcript. So after your call, you can download the transcript. And finally, many of you know what IRA is. It's 
the visual assistance platform. I think we're on four years now. We support free IRA usage for small business owners. So if you're a small business owner like you are with RSVA, you're blind or have low vision, you can use the IRA promotion within to it to manage small business tasks. If you need help, like taking a look at your vending scene, you want an IRA, uh, IRA agent to just see, is it clean? Are your employees uh, wearing gloves? What's the inventory? Do you have a vending machine that's been damaged? You know, you can use your IRA to do these kind of things. It is limited, I think, to 20 to 30 minutes a day, but that's usually enough for most people. Uh, if you're a QuickBooks customer, then you can also use the IRA to help with QuickBooks. So let's talk about design for delight. Now, I have shared these slides as a PowerPoint and as a PDF. And I've also taken the links from this presentation and exp expanded them with more links. And those are two documents that I've shared with Rick. And so he can hopefully share those with you later. Design for Delight is what Intuit uses for designing. We start with the customer. And when we start with a customer, we try to find out the customer problem. When we find out a customer problem, then we try to find solutions. We have a, a key thing that we say with Design for Delight. We fall in love with the problem and not the solution. So it's really easy to get a new tool. Like let's say that you just got a new scanner that you're going to use for scanning all of your QR codes or something. You could have that scanner and then you think, oh, what can I solve with this scanner? And then you start figuring out all the things you could do with that scanner. But is that tool actually solving a customer problem? And that's where we say, we got to focus on the customer problem. Once you figure out the customer problem, then you can find the solution. And an excellent example of this was they were trying to figure out why accountants were having a problem with tax filing. And so they thought, well, if we redesign the screen, we can make it much easier for them to create a tax form. But what they found was that accountants were spending 30% of their time bugging their clients to give them documents they needed for filing their taxes. So they created a, an online directory, like a file folder system, where the accountant can send a list to their clients and saying, I need these 10 files. And then from January to March, the clients can upload those files. The accountant then gets a note saying, okay, client X has now uploaded all their files. The accountant can then go download those files and create the tax return. That saved them so much time that they were then able to take that and apply it to their customers. And that's because we went into that interview not knowing what the problem was. Once we found out what the problem is, then we could solve it. So design for delight is really key. As you're moving forward, as people are coming back to the offices, as the pandemic hopefully declines, understanding your customer, your new customers, and not basing your business on your older customers is how you're going to expand in the future. So a key part of that is follow me home. When Intuit started, the first product was Quicken. And Quicken was the software that allowed people to balance their personal budgets. What's my income? What are my expenses? How much money do I actually have in the bank? And the founder of Quicken, he would actually go to the local electronics store in the Bay Area. It was called Fry's. And he would sit there in the store and wait for someone to pick up a box of Quicken. Then he would follow them through the uh, checkout counter and into the parking lot. And when he was in the parking lot, he would ask the person, can I go to your house and watch you install this product? And of course, a lot of people said no, but when they did say yes, he would go to their houses and he would watch them install the product. And what were the problems? 
what was actually working, what wasn't working. He would take what he watched and then he would go back to the company and they would solve those problems. And so there was this cycle of watching the customer, learning what they could, and then bringing that back in. I understand that you're not going to be able to do this in a prison setting. It's going to be kind of hard for you to do a follow me home. But I was thinking about, let's use an example of a rest area vending machine. I have a picture of a person. He's wearing a hoodie outdoors at a vending, and he's looking at two vending machines trying to figure out what he's going to buy. So if you have a rest area vending service, you could sit outside. You've filled your vending machines. You've got another 10 minutes. You just kind of hang out and you listen and watch. Listen to what people are saying at your vending machines. Don't engage with them. Stand back at first and just listening. Are they excited about a choice? Are they really celebrating like, hey, mom, they've got ho-hos here. Are they complaining like they never have mint chewing gum? After they've chosen something, uh, ask them about their satisfaction. Did you like it? What didn't you like? You know, it's that personal response is going to let you know a lot more about your products. This could also be if you have a cafe, you know, you can watch people as they're going through. Where are they going? What are they typically buying? Do they pick up products, look at them, and then put them back? This is how you can start exploring what works and what doesn't work at your company. But Follow Me Homes, while they're really, really great, and we do Follow Me Homes all the time. In fact, when I go to Randolph Shepard Vendors, uh, Sagebrush, that to me is a Follow Me Home. I'm sitting at tables and I'm talking to you. I'm learning about the importance of telemetry. I'm learning about the uh, the role that Excel works and, and how you do inventory. These are all things that help me understand how to make our products better. And I go back to our product companies and I explain them. But that's personal. So how do we track quality? How do we get a broader spectrum? And I know you've seen these. They're called net promoter scores. And it's essentially a form. And that form has zero to 10, zero being not likely, 10 being strongly agreed. These are forms that basically say, How likely is it you would recommend Mountain Views vending machines to a friend or colleague? And then you would be like a QR code or something like that on your vending machine. Someone would see it. They'd go to this forum and they'd say, I'm very likely. I love this rest area. Uh, They have exactly what I'm looking for. I need a a cup of hot coffee and they have a coffee vending machine. So I'm going to say 10. Or they might say zero. They never have what I want. The vending machines are broken, you know, whatever it is, there's no roof. And so it's always raining and I get rained on. So there might be a reason why someone doesn't like your vending machines. And there might be a reason why someone really loves your vending machines. SurveyMonkey is, it's not associated with Intuit, but SurveyMonkey is the most popular survey website. And you can set up a free net promoter score survey. I have an example in the next. But uh, as I said, I shared the files with Rick so you can get these afterwards. When we're looking at a net promoter score, it's actually pretty simple. If someone says a 9 or a 10, that means they're extremely likely to recommend your vending machine to someone else. If they're a 7 to 8, that means they're passive. They don't really care. They're just, you know, it's good. It's fine. If they're zero to six, they're detractors, which means these are people that are not going to recommend you. So obviously what you want is more promoters and less detractors. So your net promoter score is the percentage of promoters. Then you subtract the percentage of detractors. So let's just say that you had 100 people fill out your form. And 80% of those people 
uh, said that you were nine or 10. So you have 80 promoters and you had 10 detractors and you had 10 passive. So you take your promoters 80, you subtract your detractors 10, and you end up with 70. That's your net promoter score. What you want to do is you want to have a positive net promoter score. If more people are detractors than promoters, then you're going to have a negative score. So if 10 people said they really liked you and 50 people said they didn't, you'd have a net promoter score of minus 40. What's key about this is that you can keep doing this and you can start tracking your net promoter score every quarter or every month. And as someone, let's say in January, your net promoter score was 20. And in your form, you say, what is your net promoter score? Would you recommend in this? And then after that, it might have a form saying, what would you like us to add? What would help us make it better? So in January, you have a net promoter score of 20. But you find out that people really wanted chai because maybe they're in a community where there's a lot of people from India. So in February, you add chai to the hot coffee menu. Then all of a sudden, your net promoter score goes to 40. Um, So that gives you that kind of quick feedback that you can get from a net promoter score. Really, really important for places where you have loyal customers, people that will come there more than once, cafes, rest areas, concession stands. Like I said, it's going to be kind of hard in a prison setting, but in your education, like at colleges and such, having a QR code and making this easy can really help. And then also, I was thinking about vending machines, and I know that this isn't always possible, but I've got a picture of a vending machine and about, I don't know, five or six of the shelves are empty. So it would be interesting is if you had a card, as that thing is empty, you had a card that actually had a QR code that said, what would you like here? You're looking at an empty slot. What would you want us to put in this empty slot? So I created a very simple form with uh, links that's questions. What would you like to see in our vending machine? Did you find what you were looking for? Maybe one of them was empty, but you had two rows of the same item. What is your favorite drink? What is your favorite snack? What time did you visit us? Just think about questions that would actually help you figure out what's the best way to stock that vending machine. Now, I'm looking at this vending machine, and it already has a QR code. It already has a feedback mechanism. So if this was your vending machine, are you using questions that are really helpful? Can you add a net promoter score to that feedback form? How often do you look at it? And if you're looking at it often, are you actually changing the products that were, are within that vending machine? So it's one thing to ask people their opinion, but you really have to follow up with it. And then finally, I want to talk about MailChimp. So as you've already figured out some of your customers, it's important that you start letting them know what's happening. And I think this is really key for cafes. Uh, if you have a menu that changes often, if you introduce a new item to your menu, then it's nice to let everybody in the building know, hey, we have a new sandwich available. We have a new omelet available. We've extended our hours now that you're coming back to the offices. Um, MailChimp is email newsletters. They have websites. They have a CRM is a client or customer relation management database. They have a resource center so you can learn more about how to market your site. And you can start for free. You can send out about 2,000 contacts a month. So if you have 200 people, you can send them 10 emails a month, but you wouldn't want to do that often. So you can start for free, and then I think it's $11 a month after that. I've thrown out a lot of information. I know I talked fast, but uh, does anybody have any questions? Okay, Dan, yes. uh, I had to unmute myself, but uh, just one comment. I'm glad you brought up the, the idea about SurveyMonkey. 
And I just mm-hmm. want to add to that a little bit, if I could. When I set up my first micro market uh, many years ago, it was in a state office building that had uh, multiple uh, departments within the building. And there was a little animosity because uh, at the time there was a certain few employees within the building that set up their own honor shop and then I was basically putting them out of business. I became friends and with the building manager. And so we agreed to uh, put out a questionnaire on SurveyMonkey as to what people expect because when we switched from vending to uh, Micromarket, we could offer a much bigger variety of products. And the first survey monkey the results come back and we had like a 30% response rate and, but it really gives me good information, give me some uh, tremendous information as to what products to offer. So I brought those products that rated high. I brought those in and, uh, but then I decided, wait a minute, this staff are changed, but I only had a 30% rate. So I decided to do it annual with the cooperation of the building manager because state employees, sometimes they're, they're under protective service and they, they cannot allow their identity to be known to the general public. So the building manager sent us the survey. Every year we'd create a new, a new survey questionnaire for survey monkey and he'd put it out for me and we'd get in. When I retired, we had a 65% response rate because people realized that hey, their ideas were being heard and uh, I was responding to him. So, you know, I, my suggestion is you survey monkey and, but be repetitive, stay with it and be responsive to what the uh, survey monkey shows you. I'm glad you brought that up, Ted, that it just, uh, it was a tremendous tool for me in making a success out of my micro market. And it quashed the animosity from the people that are running <laughs> Yonder shop too, because I could offer stuff that they couldn't. <laughs> A couple of things also about SurveyMonkey. As I said, we're not affiliated with SurveyMonkey. And I use SurveyMonkey on a lot of different projects. Keep your survey minimal. Don't require someone to add their email address. As you were saying, there's some privacy issues. Every question is optional. So if someone comes into a survey and they only answer one question and hit submit, that's fine. Because at least you're getting something. Uh, What you're doing is sending out a request. You can also use QR codes to make it passive. So someone just sees the QR code and they go to it and then you get polls throughout the year. But keep them simple. Oh, and one other thing, SurveyMonkey has sort of a strange payment, you know, the difference between a paid and an unpaid account. So if you're trying it out and you want to just do a quick, simple survey to begin with. Survey, you know, purveyors out there, but uh, SurveyMonkey, have to say enough about it. Yeah, I would agree with that. The other companies may have improved their service too or their accessibility. I'm not sure. I haven't tried them in several years. SurveyMonkey has some good themes that are high contrast. And that's that's another reason why I tend to use SurveyMonkey because I feel confident sharing it with other people. Anyone else have any questions or comments for Ted? You do have one raised hand. Oh, she put it. <laughs> Kathy? Oh, Kathy. I'm sorry, Kathy. I was typing and so I missed, I think, what you said after you were saying that if you have a zero to six score, you have detractors. And then you were saying something about reaching out or somehow getting feedback, what would make you happy and what make you want to come back? Is that a follow-up to their comment there? Or is that something separate that you put out? Can you repeat that piece? Sure. Typically, when you create a survey on SurveyMonkey or somewhere else, the first question is going to be your net promoter score. Would you recommend this company or recommend this service or recommend this vending machine? But after you ask them that question, you can ask the follow-up questions. And those follow-up questions would be things like, how can we make our you know, service better? What would you have liked to have seen? Um, so you can, instead of just asking one question a survey, you can add two or three. 
but keep it simple. And ultimately, you want the person to be in and out of the survey in two minutes. Uh, but that's where you can get that additional information. And then what you can do is you can have a, a question that says, would you like us to contact you for further information? And then they can put in their email address. Thank you. Any other hands? Nope. Uh, I want to give a quick uh, story about Follow Me Homes at Sagebrush. We had just come up with a, um, a product that allowed you to track your mileage if you use the QuickBooks phone app. And basically, when you get into a car and you start going somewhere, the uh, it tracks your movement. And then when you stop, it actually says, oh, by the way, you just you know went from this location to this location. So I was talking to one of the Sagebrush attendees, and they actually downloaded and tried it that night. And so what I learned from them was that you don't have to be the driver. You could actually be in the back of an Uber or Lyft, or someone else could be driving your delivery truck, and you're in the passenger seat. And it will actually track those mileage. So I went back to our mileage tracker team and told them this. So then they were able to start working in some of the concepts of we can track business mileage, but we don't necessarily have to be the driver. So how can you actually create some more management tools for that? And it's private. You don't have to worry about you know, like snooping on your employees. It's, you know, you activate it if you want it. Well, thank you, Ted. I'm always amazed every time we get together, Ted, uh, what the knowledge you bring to us and how um, into it is so on top of things uh, and working with us. And I think that's all due to your commitment to uh, small business and to the Randall Shepherd program. Really appreciate uh, your, your being here and supporting our efforts to improve the lives of all blind vendors around, around the country. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. We'll be moving on now. Uh, our next item on the agenda is um, from the National Automatic Merchandising Association, NAMA, better known. You know, they're the leading association in the convenience services industry, and they are tremendous in uh, advocating to uh, improve the convenience services, uh, and you know, which includes vending, micro markets, uh, and office coffee service, and improving the relationships we have with government officials and uh, elected officials as well. Your agenda says that we uh, have Robert Jackson. Robert had some last-minute travel he had to tend to, and so uh, he has uh, arranged for us to another person from the Government Affairs Division. And, uh, and I just want to give another one little more shout-out to NAMA. When I first started in the vending, as we all know, anyone can do vending. But if you want to do it right, you better know what you're doing. If you want to make money, you better know what you're doing. So I'd use an example. I'd call three people in the program to ask them the same question. I'd get three different answers. None of those answers were wrong, but what was the best answer? So that's when I decided to get involved with NAMA. And at that time, in Wisconsin, we had an affiliate with NAMA. And I got involved with them. And uh, lo and behold, we were paying sales tax here in Wisconsin on all of everything that went through our vending machines. But uh, with the advocacy of our state affiliate and the National Enama Association, we convinced the legislators to reduce that um, sales tax. And this is uh, 18 years ago. And at that time, that increased my revenues $800 a month by not paying sales tax on uh, the vending uh, supplies. But I, I'm forever indebted to Enama 
And um, I do regret that we were not able to hold the state affiliate together. But uh, so with that, without any further ado, I would um, welcome, please give a warm welcome to Nick Steingart from Government Affairs at NAMA. They are the leading advocacy group when it comes to Washington, D.C., or anything that pertains to our business levels. Nick, are you on? Oh, thank you very much, and thank you for the kind words. That was uh, um, a, a very warm welcome. Again, sorry that Robert couldn't be here before uh, or for this presentation today, um, but I'm happy to be with you all. Good afternoon for those of you on the East Coast. Morning for you on the West Coast. Again, for some background, my name is Nick Steingart. I'm on the government affairs team, as mentioned here at the National Automatic Merchandising Association. So this talk I'm going to give today is going to uh, heavily touch on what we're working on here at the federal level. Um, I'm kind of going to give, give an overview of what we're seeing at the state level, which is where I do uh, the bulk of my work. And then I'm going to tell you about some upcoming shows and programming that we have with NAMA that um, that you can engage with. So kind of starting off with the biggest policy development um, at the end of last year, which was, of course, the infrastructure bill. You know, there was a lot of talk at that time from some Democrats on passing an infrastructure bill before the passage of a social spending or human infrastructure um, package. But that bill eventually did pass with the support of 13 Republicans and all but six Democrats um, in the House and got over the finish line uh, in the Senate as well. Uh, so that's the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, um, which is a real mouthful, but that allocates $1.2 trillion for infrastructure investments. Kind of important to note, the bill that was eventually signed was a fraction of what the president initially wanted. Uh, they opened negotiations up with a $2.3 trillion number, so a little less than half. And of that $1.2 trillion, only about, I say only, ton in cheek, $550 billion of that uh, is new spending for infrastructure projects. So some key points to highlight for our industry that we were supportive of, obviously those investments in roads and bridges and the transportation network um, we were supportive of. Of course, there will be, uh, unfortunately, some temporary aches and pains um, as uh, we're driving around on the roads out there as those projects get underway. But in the long term, um, something that the business community here in D.C. was very supportive of. Uh, another element of the bill that we were very supportive of was uh, as it relates to broadband connectivity. By most estimates, about 19 million Americans uh, still lack broadband service. 15 million of 19 million of, of that number is in rural areas. Our hope for the convenience services industry is that this will allow us to increase our footprint in currently underserved areas. And the, again, the hope there is expanding connectivity for vending and unattended retail and micro markets will enable our operators to utilize more modern payment methods, track product sales, reduce carbon footprint, and uh, increase our sustainable stocking practices through increased data access. So supportive of those elements of the Infrastructure bill, unfortunately, one of the things that the infrastructure bill did <clears throat> was it terminated the employee retention tax credit three months early, excuse me. So it repealed it for the final quarter of last year um, with the goal of generating an additional $8.2 billion in revenue. The employee retention tax credit was created um, as part of one of the initial COVID relief packages as part of the CARES Act, um, and that was set to run through 2021. 
uh, and would have offered $28,000 per employee to businesses that were hard hit during the pandemic. Again, unfortunately, the uh, ERTC terminated that program three months early. Uh, one of the initiatives that NAMA started to tackle late last year after our fly-in was getting the ERTC reinstated. After our fly-in, we were able to secure introduction of House Resolution 6161, also known as the Employee Retention Tax Credit Reinstatement Act. Um, and we've built up to over 50 co-sponsors on that piece of legislation. So we're really proud of the progress that we've been able to make there. Um, some exciting news actually on that front. Last week, we secured bipartisan introduction of that bill in the Senate with um, the help of Senators Hassan, Scott, uh, Warner, Moore Capito, and Senator Cardin as well. So again, if passed, that bill would allow for wages paid between September 30th and December 31 to once again be uh, qualified as a tax credit for those eligible businesses. And uh, I can tell you, I've, I've watched uh, some coalitions here in D.C. before and a lot of groups in town like to claim credit for uh, different coalitions and initiatives that they're involved in. This is genuinely a NAMA-led effort. Um, our team has been on top of this since this was first included in the infrastructure bill last year. We sent a letter to Congress and to the administration um, a few weeks ago, urging on behalf of the coalition, urging the passage of this bill. Um, and so right now we're, we're happy with the progress. We have bipartisan support, uh, again, on both of those House and Senate bills to reinstate uh, the ERTC. And uh, we're doing a lot of press on this. We are doing a lot of grassroots outreach um, and, of course, asking our members to contact their local officials as well um, to support the ERTC. So hoping to, hoping to have some more positive news on that uh, in the coming weeks. Some other federal priorities we're working on, uh, the Unmerchantable Products Tax Credit. This was a bill that would have uh, allowed a temporary credit for unmerchantable inventory um, between March 13th and September 30th of 2020 would apply to any taxpayer engaged in the active trade or sale of food or beverages. And that was a bill that we worked on with Senator Cortez Vasso's office from uh, Nevada, of course. Another bill that we were working on uh, outside of ERTC, Coin Metal Modification and Savings Act, uh, bipartisan le legislation that includes some name of back language that would require coins to be changed under very specific requirements, including a guarantee that any proposed changes interact seamlessly with the reading technologies already utilized in our industries. And then finally, um, I know some of our members were able to take advantage of the Restaurant Revitalization Fund. <clears throat> Others were not, but that was a program that quickly ran out of the $28 billion that was appropriated by Congress. Um, and there's some talks about that being uh, revitalized again uh, at the beginning part of this year and talks as well about that being included with the ERTC as part of a larger uh, and probably final COVID relief package. So those are the, what's kind of on our agenda at the federal level as it relates to the convenience services industry. And just more broadly, I think some things to watch out for at least over the next couple of weeks in February here. Y'all may have seen some news about this, but Congress is making progress on a bill um, that's aimed at boosting the domestic supply chains. This is a uh, bipartisan piece of legislation, the U.S. Innovation and Competition Act, passed the Senate last year um, and got 19 Republican votes. So again, very broad bipartisan support on this bill. 
includes $52 billion for domestic semiconductor production, uh, $100 billion for education science and technology research and development over a five-year period as well. Um, some recent news on this, this bill passed the House a couple of weeks ago. I believe it was the Friday before last. Um, and there were many elements of the House bill were similar to the Senate bill, um, including that $52 billion for semiconductor production. As we all know, the uh, the supply chain has been hampered by the <clears throat> shortage of semiconductors throughout the pandemic, which is really contributed to delays and increased costs. 80% of these chips are currently made in Asia. So this is one of the uh, one of the very few issues, along with um, a couple others that I mentioned, that um, you'll see some bipartisan agreement on in Congress. And so the House and Senate now have to convene a conference committee to reconcile those bills, but definitely some positive developments there um, for addressing some of those supply chain issues. And then finally, on other things happening kind of in D.C. over the next few weeks, I would expect that the president will uh, nominate the uh, soon-to-be-vacant seat for uh, Justice Breyer. That's expected. The nomination on that's expected to come by the end of February. President Biden and Leader Schumer have all but guaranteed a swift confirmation process um, when that nominee is eventually proposed. Kind of pivoting here to the state level and uh, the issues that I spend most of my time working on, issues impacting the convenience services that we're following, obviously, uh, vending and micro market regulations. Um, we're seeing a lot of cashless retail bans introduced at the state level. I actually just had a bill dropped in Delaware yesterday that excludes vending um, from a cashless retail ban. Um, but we've seen a lot of those efforts in the past couple of years. We have a few bills to repeal beverage taxes in a couple states and others, many more uh, than there are to repeal to uh, institute a beverage tax at the state level. We're trying to preserve some sales tax exemptions um, in a few states like New York that provide a sales tax exemption for vended items under a certain threshold. And then uh, we've seen some really interesting developments this year as a way to combat inflation. A lot of states are, those states that still have grocery taxes are looking at um, repealing their grocery taxes. So we are working in a few states, Kansas, Illinois, Virginia, amongst others, too. Outside of that, um, environmental issues, especially in the lack of federal action, I think, continued uh, at the state level and certainly some proposals there that impact our industry, things like single-use plastic bans, HFC phase-outs, bottle deposit taxes, things of that sort continue to spread at the state level. In terms of pandemic issues, seeing a few states propose um, state and local vaccine mandates, both on businesses and on customers, although, as I'll touch on in a minute here, a lot of those have been, all have probably uh, heard the news over the past couple of weeks that a lot of governors in some of these Democratic-run states have been uh, repealing or rolling back or announcing dates to roll back their uh, vaccine and mask mandates. And then, uh, again, additional COVID relief, this is something we're seeing at the federal level uh, and at the state level. Uh, and again, probably, you know, if things trend the way that they're trending, probably the last round of COVID relief, big COVID relief packages that we'll see at both the federal and the state level. And then I, I briefly alluded to it, but we saw a cohort of Democrat governors earlier this week and last week 
uh, announced that some of the remaining mask mandates have or will be lifted. Some of those are to end indoor mandates. A few of those were still for outdoor mask mandates. And others are focused on ending mask mandates for students in schools. We uh, in Delaware, Nevada, New York, and Rhode Island, indoor mask mandates expired last week. California listeners, I believe Tuesday, February 15th is today. Uh, <laughs> Washington leaving their mask mandate in place for indoors, but lifting their outdoor mandate. Um, and other officials in Illinois and Oregon, uh, New Jersey and Massachusetts are eyeing the end of this month and next month to repeal their mask mandate. So a lot of d- recent developments and how states are approaching um, COVID and certainly our hope is that for the convenience services industry that this is going to drive uh, more of a return to the office for those workers who opted to either work remotely the last few months or kind of have been doing this hybrid schedule for the last couple of months with the surge of the Omicron variant. So that's our hope on that front, at least, and happy to discuss anything state or federal issues wise just real quickly. I'll give a plug for some of our upcoming educational programming for that NAMA's putting on. We have a webcast February 24th on selling a sustainable image to your clients and customers. And then we have a, uh, we, the NAMA show is going to be in Chicago, April 6th through April 8th. One plug there, early bird sign up registration expires this Thursday, the 17th. So if you were planning on attending and haven't signed up yet, we highly encourage you to do so. We have a handful of pre-conference sessions that we'll be doing there, uh, a Starbucks roastery tour, which I've seen the photos of, and it looks amazing. Um, that's going to be a really cool event, four floors at the Starbucks roastery. We're going to have another pre-conference session on taking micro markets to the consumer, just outlining different approaches to reach consumers in unconventional locations, and then a final one on selling convenience services. Um, and this is going to be an interactive exercise with uh, leaders in the industry about key principles crucial for an effective sales program. And then finally, the last plug that I'll give for the NAMA show, um, we announced this, I believe, two weeks ago now, um, an exhibit that we're calling Imagination Way that's going to focus on four unique consumer venues, highlighting a broad range of the capabilities to meet customers. So we have dozens of potential new customers representing these industries at Imagination Way. And again, in those four unique consumer venues, which are transit and transport centers, multifamily slash campus housing, senior living slash healthcare, and hotel lodging and hospitality. So We're really excited about that and hope that you'll be able to join us um, in Chicago and experience Imagination Way and everything else at the NAMA show. Again, early bear registration ends the 17th, and that event is at McCormick Place, April 6th through April 8th. With that, I will uh, open the floor up for any government affairs-related questions or any NAMA questions that I could answer for y'all. Well, thank you, Nick. I mean, it's always great to hear from your team there. You know, I'm part of the education committee for NAMA and just phenomenal team. But um, I got one quick thought or question, you know, on remote working. You know, most of our um, operations are in large government office buildings. And my crystal ball is real cloudy lately. And NAMA has always got a real clear crystal ball. I was wondering what your thoughts, there's been so many rumblings that remote working is here to stay, which I'm not going to argue, but uh, some people are getting tired of remote working and are wanting to go back to the office. What is your thoughts or what, do you see any trends where 
there will be a, an upswing in return to the office or is going to remote working going to stabilize? This is my opinion, not an economic analysis, but I really think that we're going to go to more to this hybrid. I think a lot of offices and you all work with your clients that are either hybrid in you know, November or December is, or fully remote, sorry, in November or December as Omicron started to surge. And when you look at some of the other indicators, I was looking at an article the other day that restaurants or capacities are back up, airline bookings were back up, sporting events like the NBA was 95% of capacity from where they were last year. And if so, if those things are, you know, sort of the leading indicators, I think my hope is that that should signal to a lot of these companies that people are comfortable with kind of re-entering the world again. So, and I saw a couple big announcements, like I think it was American Express in New York City said they're going back 100% in March. The momentum, certainly from a lot of the posturing from these governments, I mentioned there was 11 different governors who made announcements last week about rescinding mask mandates and vaccine mandates and they're ending their emergency powers. If that's any indication, I, I definitely think it's going to continue to tick up again. And obviously it depends on your market and there's going to be individual companies who make their own decisions to go full remote or hybrid. But I think hybrid and return to office is just, again, based on those other indicators. That to me seems to be the way that we're trending. Well, thank you for your insights on that because that's something that we're trying to keep an eye on and uh, buy as much information to our members uh, so they can better direct their efforts down the road. Do we have any hands up for any questions? No, we sure don't. Okay. Well, Nick, I I guess I uh, thank you so much. And any closing comments you would like to offer us? Uh, None for me. Did I hear someone just interject? Were they about to ask a question? Scott Egan, yes. I was going to ask a quick question, and I I apologize. I hope I didn't miss something here. We had a discussion last night about electric cars and and getting these charging stations on the rest areas, et cetera. Is there anything you can fill in on some of that information? I'm worried that it's going to hit us hard and fast, and I realize every state's going to have to deal with with, with it on their own, but um, always concerned about that. I want to make sure that Blind vendors have an opportunity to get in on the ground level of those things, and and, uh, it would be a great plus for us. But just curious, is there anything else you can add to that picture for us? No, that's a good flag. Definitely going to be a lot coming in the way of electric vehicle charging stations. So the federal infrastructure bill that I mentioned allocated, I think it was $15 billion that they funnel out through the states to help expand those charging networks. And I was looking at a chart the other day. I don't have it up here, but maybe I can get it quickly about all the different states that were proposing legislation related to electric vehicle charging stations. I'm trying to see if I could quickly get it up here, but I probably won't. I'm not quick enough on on the draw here on on my search. But uh, no, definitely something to expect. That's a super hot topic. You know, again, the federal infrastructure bill allocated a lot of money and states are allocating their own money. Y'all may have heard this, but so much money has funneled out to the states in the past few years through the CARES Act, through the infrastructure bill, through all these different pieces of legislation that have come out from D.C. So states are flush with cash right now and they're looking for ways to spend it. And broadband, I think, Certainly for our industry, the two pieces that I'm interested in and watching that relate to our industry are that broadband connectivity and expansion and and these electric vehicle charging stations and infrastructure upgrades kind of at large. So I'd love to find that 
chart with the different state bills while we're on the call here, but I'm, I'm blanking on it here. That, that, um, that's okay. If you do come across it, if you could uh, share that with Arda, she could uh, disperse yeah. it with our group here, and we, we would love to take a look at that. That would be some incredible information. Uh, I actually just found it, so I will absolutely. It was actually $30 billion for EV funding. I was only $15 billion short, so $30 billion <laughs> for EV funding. Um, and yeah, I will absolutely share this. There's a lot of great information in here about the states that are looking at this. You know, Texas, California, and Florida, not surprising, leading the way. They're spending $615 million on this stuff, but I will absolutely share that. I know y'all are scattered in some different states all across the country, so I won't go state by state, but I will definitely share this um, with the group. Well, thank you much for sharing that. I I are, there, are there any key states, uh, Nick, that are um, looking ahead of the game on this? It looks like they have to, of course, there's bureaucracy involved, right? Uh, it looks like they have to submit their plans to the federal government by September 30th of this year to trigger some of that funding. But um, looking at some of the top line numbers here, the goal is to build 500,000 new electric vehicle charging stations by 2030. So that's a pretty pretty lofty goal to get 24 million new EVs uh, on the road. And I would also look at, for you all, and I'm frankly not sure how much this would impact you all, states are offering a lot of incentives for businesses to purchase these electric vehicles as well. So there could be some funding incentives out there that, that your businesses are able to take advantage of. And I can look into that for you and see if that would be of interest. That would be perfect. That would be great if you could do that, Nick. Okay. Well, I thank you, Nick. Um, it's just such a pleasure to hear what's going on directly from NAMA. As, as I mentioned earlier, NAMA has been a large part of our industry and our blind vendors. You know, we rely so much upon your uh, intellectual and expertise uh, in guiding us through a lot of these federal and state uh, regulatory processes. Thank you, Nick, and hopefully we can uh, get together in person in Las Vegas uh, a year from now. Yeah, that sounds great. I look forward to it. It's a pleasure to advocate on behalf of you all. Thanks for having me. That's our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Hey, we're right on schedule at uh, 1015, so it's time for uh, a break uh, for those of us that have to check out the plumbing and see <laughs> that and we can be back here uh, in 15 minutes and we have a, a interesting panel that uh, I guess, unfortunately, you're gonna have to listen to me a little bit on that. On that panel, Actually, but, we're uh, going to be showing a video video shortly. So, uh, oh, perfect, perfect. Just take a gotcha. five minute break, and then uh, there's going to be a video, and I'll be giving a CE code for people. Okay. <laughs> 